some of the disciples turned away and left Jesus. Isn't that a tragedy? Why would they do that? Jesus is this amazing man that everyone flocks to and follows to the end. He healed people and did great things and everyone wanted to be his favorite and do his will. Isn't that the case? Apparently not, according to John. I talk about the disciples often when I preach and we learn about them in Bible studies, but I don't think we stop to consider this scene very much and its implications on the church. Who were these people that no longer wanted to walk with Jesus? Did they not want to believe everything about Jesus or just the eat my flesh part? Well, we know who they weren't. They weren't John, Peter, Luke, or Matthew, or any of the twelve. The twelve were the core. But there were many more around Jesus and the twelve. They were nameless followers until something happened. Jesus said something and they couldn't bear to hear it. That's what I want to talk about today. Along with that, <clears throat> someone recently mentioned to me that our denomination, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, hasn't said a single thing or made any public statements regarding the recent enforcement of federal immigration policy that's been separating families who come into this country without authorization. Unless you've been living in a cave for the last year and had no contact with the outside world, you've heard about this, right? But I'd be willing to bet fewer of us have heard what the churches in America are saying about it. And to the point of the person who brought this up to me, our LCMS has said even less. In fact, nothing, as far as I've been able to find. <clears throat> you would think, if our synod leadership has said anything about it, and we just missed it somehow, or it didn't get picked up on the national news, it would at least be on the LCMS website. But nothing. I checked, and checked again, and dug as deep as I thought was reasonable to find news or a statement on such an important current event. The LCMS has made a statement about the fires in California, but not about immigrant families being separated. What I was able to find, though, was a recent article in the LCMS Reporter magazine that we have, for a decade, already been working with the U.S. Office of Refugee Settlements to provide emergency shelter for undocumented immigrant children. That's good news. Yeah. I mean, it's good to know the LCMS is already on the front lines, actually helping the people you and I only hear about in the news. You know, other people far away are taking care of it. But that's still not the same as publicly denouncing the policy. Other churches are doing it, including our sister and brother Lutherans in the ELCA. They've made a recent public statement against uh, breaking up families on the border. Well, at least their presiding bishop, the Reverend Elizabeth Eaton, has. I mean, we know how this works, right? You know, she didn't call up every congregation under her umbrella, including Podunk Lutheran Church in Zap, North Dakota, 
and say, I'm going to make a public statement on behalf of all of us. Are you okay with that? That's not how it works, right? When our Synod President Matthew Harrison went to Washington, D.C. a few years ago to make a public statement about the sanctity of marriage, he didn't call me first to ask if you and I were with him in unity and spirit. He assumed we were because we're supposed to be united in all things and he is the head spokesman of our denomination. And so it would seem Bishop Eaton assumes the same for her denomination, but here's the thing. She's just one among 19 other names on this public statement from various other Christian denominations, including the Presbyterian Church USA, the Reformed Church in America, the Disciples of Christ, the United Church of Christ, and so on. I've read this statement. I have no problem with it. You can look it up online and read it yourself. I don't think anyone in the Missouri Synod would really have a problem with what it says, but you won't find our name on it because if we did, it would give the world the impression that we believe the same thing about Jesus as all these other churches, and we don't. You know we don't. As disappointed as one in the LCMS might be that Matthew Harrison's name isn't on this statement alongside Elizabeth Eaton's, at least you know why. It is a tragedy that the Christian church is so denominationally fractured and that we we publicly practice our faith in such a sectarian manner. But you can thank Jesus himself for that. Or at least you could thank him for starting it. In this scene from John, we just might have the very first split within the church. And it happens when the founder of the church utters some words about himself. Shocking, isn't it? Or maybe you're used to it. I don't know. Jesus drives people away then, and he does today. His words are too much for some of those who have gathered around him. And I wonder if this is also one of the reasons why people leave the church, like I was uh, asking about last week. They can't bear what Jesus has to say. Maybe today, not so much about his flesh, but theirs. You know, For out of the heart come evil thoughts about uh, including sexual immorality, Jesus says. You know, some people can't bear to hear that because they're driven by sexual immorality. But you get the picture, right? You know, you can lump any and all complaints against Jesus into the, I just don't like the, you know, that he, a man, claims to be God category or pile. That's really what's at the heart of this. God, the creator of all things, humbled himself fully to be a human being, and that's a scandal, a scandal in his time certainly and a scandal today the world believes you know Jesus has to be a man a good teacher and all and that God has to be big out there you know maybe he calls the shots so long as he's distant and vague and of course always nice in John though we have a different picture of God which much of the world cannot bear a grittier, perhaps edgy, 
much more human than, well, was ever expected, right? I mean, he's upset with the disciples. Take, for instance, verse 67. If you're a parent and, you know, you and I have all done this, you've reprimanded one child or one person in the household, you've laid down the law and turned to the rest and said, anyone else want to complain? Or, you know, you've seen the movies with the leader or whatever situation, you know, they're, the, the, the captain of the ship are grumbling or whatever and walking away and everything seems lost and he's looking for a few good men who will stick with him and in his anger and frustration, you know, he lets him know he's upset by, you know, anyone else want to leave? Go ahead, now's your chance. You know, and a few kind of stick with him, right? If you look at the context of the conversation here between Jesus and his disciples, I don't believe it's the Shakespearean Jesus we're used to picturing. Do you want to go away as well? Uh, You know, it's more like, anyone else want to leave? You know, and Peter's got the right answer. Oh, you know, it's kind of a, it almost seems like a sort of tap dance backtrack. You know, oh Lord, we'll stay. You know, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life and are the Holy One of God. Good answer, Peter, and certainly true. Now, our text today doesn't go far enough, but Jesus answers again with some frustration. I picked you guys, didn't I? One of you is even a devil. Or, you know, inspired by Satan. Judas. In other words, hey, you disciples, I'm the one that brought you all together. Even the bad ones. Even the ones who will never believe in me. And betray me. Jesus brought them together, and some walked away, as some do today. Many from this church have have done that over the last 140 years. You think Jesus is frustrated about that? Would he look at us here today and say, Anyone else want to leave? If he did, May you and I always say as Peter, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. What we can be absolutely certain of is Jesus' words bring life, even when they're unbearable to hear. Think ahead to Revelation. John sees the vision of Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth, right? A two-edged sword. The sword is his word, which on the one side cuts to the heart of men and women, convicting them of their sin, and on the other side, you know, it's the, it's the stuff we don't want to be here, right? The stuff we cannot bear. And on the other side, the sword comforts and heals with the assurance of forgiveness of that sin, salvation, and eternal life. For those who will listen, Jesus' words go into the ears to the heart and mind to transform the person and to do the will of the Father and be more Christ-like. This is for all people. Jesus didn't die for the nice people of the world. He died for all. Eh, Not all will listen and believe, but He died for all. He is the way to heaven, the only way. And again, this is the scandal because some people don't want that particular way. They want their way or something else than Jesus. And even within the body, 
of all who do have faith and believe in the church, we're fractured. We don't agree on everything about Jesus, but you know this already. Take heart then that Jesus has drawn you closer to himself. With his words and the sacrament, he is the bread of life as he says. By believing in him, you're eating and you live forever. That's good news. And that's a public statement our church has been relaying for a long, long time and will be doing even in the midst of all the other stuff going on in the world with which we could be denouncing, condoning, rejecting, approving, whatever. The public message which brings life is the good news of Jesus and His love for you and all people. We'll keep telling it so more might come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Amen.